do you stop and then redo nope. it, or you just no. do it all? In we one just go? talk, and then Yola does the the uh, magic of editing. Um, I'm a magical editing. editor, as yes. well as all the other. So the only thing to pay attention to is this guy. We have Ooh. to be fairly close we to. We have to okay. focus. Yeah, so focus we need on to. The yeah, be, I am. I be, can't be comfy, yeah. but you know, because you have to Ooh. sit there for a bit. <laughs> Are you okay with that? Yeah, poor Yola's like, like, yeah, you're like longer than mine. Yeah, you you and I are fine. I just cut off my legs, so you know I fit better. You're the problem. (laughs) You're the problem. I'm the problem. If you're committed to this, you should. should, uh, Yeah, I agree. I agree. Okay. All right, we're rolling. So this is really good. Do you want to start, Susan, this time? Oh my gosh, I'm so bad at starting. Okay. Yeah, you're ready. Ready, ready. Three, two, one. Sorry for saying Sorry Media presents the Purr Podcast, the best podcast for feline medicine and surgery with tips, tricks, and updates for the entire veterinary healthcare team. If you're dying to know more about cats, keep on listening. Here are your hosts, Dr. Susan Little, famous cat vet and textbook author, and Dr. Yola Kirpenstein, talented surgeon and social media geek. And we're back. This is Dr. Yola Kirpenstein. And Dr. Susan Little. And we're so happy we had Part the chance two. to talk to Dr. Severin Tasker again. Again. So thank you very much for being thank with you. us. No, it's a pleasure to be with you. Yes, we have a lot more to talk about mm-hmm. in feline Indeed. infectious disease. So we're Indeed. so happy we have a second podcast with you. Yeah, so yeah. two weeks ago we talked about a lot of things already and yeah. we're excited to yeah. keep and on going. Yeah, more to go. So if, if they have other cats in the house, because most people have more than one cat, yeah. right? Let's face yeah. it, in most Western countries yeah. and European countries, there's people with more than yeah. one cat. Yeah. So if uh, that newly acquired yeah. kitten yeah. develops FIP and is diagnosed, what do yeah. we say to the owner about the other cats? Yeah, so they probably will be coronavirus infected, those other cats. And yeah. what I tend to say is try and find out historically whether is it the first case of FIP that and usually it is that yeah, that householder had in that sort mm. of situation and it's a matter of keeping those um, other cats thinking about um, reducing stress yeah. finding out how old they are because yeah, if they're matters. you know if they're if they're beyond three years of age they're probably unlikely pretty, pretty yeah they're going to be sturdy because it is a disease predominantly of young cats there's a little bit of a blip in a much older age group but usually less than three um, so taking into account their age if they have got other young cats in the household if they were just about to you know do something you know go away try yeah. and avoid any stress due changes, to changes etc that sort of thing yeah. and also thinking about hygiene I mean as I say the coronaviruses are probably already there mm. but I uh, and I don't aim to get rid of coronavirus, but I think with good hygiene, litter tray hygiene, making sure you're, uh, you know, getting rid of all the organic matter, then disinfecting mm. properly the sort of scoops as well yeah. as the litter trays. If you reduce the load, um, you know, there's some evidence that suggests, you know, the less coronavirus you've got there, the less likely you are to have a mutation. It's not, again, it's yeah, not at all not or nothing yeah. because, you know, what you, it only takes one coronavirus to mutate in the way that it needs to mutate. Mutate, but um, but it's but, something yeah. to be done. Yeah. Would you recommend that they take that uh, diagnosed cat and segregate it from the others? Well, you, in my experience, a lot of them will be euthanized pretty quickly yeah. in that situation. So you know that the the, the it, that cat is very unlikely to be, as we've talked about, infectious shedding yeah. the 
FIP-inducing coronavirus. So actually, you know, you're probably all right. Yeah. A lot of people don't want to do that. Yeah. And, and I worry and about the stress on the poor little sick kitty too, exactly, right? Exactly. That's been in the hospital, that's had all these investigations yeah. done, etc. And now so, for whatever's yeah. left of his life, he goes home and yeah. lives in the bathroom. Yeah. You know? it's, yeah. yeah. So I think it's a sort of educate educated um but unfortunately you know a lot of owners want yes no no mm -hmm. i'm not saying this in a negative way no, i totally understand true. it but you know any chance of it being a problem they, yeah. they don't want that yeah. they want no chance and that's why it's very difficult to sort of e explain it yeah but it's incredible how some of the in contact cats will be you know either shedding coronavirus or will stay seropositive for a long well, long time and never get exactly sick. and never get sick yeah yeah yeah, yeah. very long-term shedders yeah yeah Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that leads us a little bit to diagnostics. And, yeah. you know, traditionally, I think the effusive or wet forms of FIP are usually the easier yes. for us to diagnose. Yeah. A little bit classical presentation. Yeah. Yeah. But I think um, all of us struggle with the non-effusive yes. forms because it yeah. can look like anything yeah. almost. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And then you're on less firm ground. Yeah, yeah. And I don't know whether, you know, you're not in an area where there's a, a lot of TB, are you? No. But, you know, when you're dealing with TB and cats. Ah, so there's with, a lot of overlapping yeah. signs. Well, well, just in terms of mesen, you know, that if you've got lymphadenopathy, yeah, okay. if it's like, a, a, I don't like to use the word focal FIP because it's mm -hmm. a systemic yeah, disease, a, but yeah. if it's presenting in one area that's Clinically predominantly focal, yeah, yeah. Um, in the abdomen, then, I, you know, I've had cases uh, where I've, you know, could it be TB? Um, you have TB in yes. UK? Yes. Really? Yes. We need to shut off that island. <laughs> Uh, mm, I know, no. I know. I just, uh, <laughs> I wonder what we can do about yeah, that. Yeah, let's have a think. Yeah. No, so, but, I mean, what kind of TB do you well, have? Well, we see, uh, we do see quite a bit of embovis, mycobacterium oh, embovis in, yes, in cats and microti. Uh, which is the an, another one of the groups. So, um, so I, if you're not in an area where that's, uh, you know, I think they, that's one of the big differentials for right. sort of, I, I don't like saying dry, dry either, but non-effusive or yeah. whatever without much of an effusion there. Right. Um, so the pyrexia history, yeah. we don't tend to see as much with the sort yeah. of, oh, sometimes we see that with TB, but but not as much. So that would be something to look for. But, you know, toxo would be another differential, but they are, they are difficult to diagnose for sure. It's yeah. a matter of trying to get as much clinical information as you can. Yeah. Um, imaging as well, I think yeah. ultrasound, see whether there's any subtle changes in any of the organs yeah. that you could sample yeah. and get a window into um, and if you can you know sometimes you'll find a slither of fluid that That's you didn't right. know even was there even if it's non-effusive so yeah, in air quotes could, right yeah, yeah could be a little effusion absolutely always yeah. better to look at effusion yeah and with ultrasound that's quite sort of sensitive because yeah. if you can just even get some just beyond the hub of the needle and it's yellow and sticky yeah it, it's another big piece of the jigsaw so um so fine needle aspirates i think and thinking about um pcr or um, yeah so, so talk yeah. to us a little bit more about pcr, PCR and what role yeah. it's playing now so pcr i i I take it as um, we're talking about feline coronavirus RT-PCR because it's an RNA virus. So um, that when we do that, um, for me, it's another piece of my FIP jigsaw. Right. Now, I think as a clinician, 
you have to have an FIP jigsaw. You mm-hmm. you can't you can't immediately get yeah. a definitive yeah. diagnosis. You can't say it's there's a test. Yeah, really. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you've you know, ultimately you'd like some histopathology and you want to stay in the coronavirus antigen Be within nice. those changes. That is the gold standard method of diagnosis, but that is not always possible, and certainly not always possible immediately. So mm. I think those pieces of the jigsaw that you. Your, your signalment, um, you know, the, some of the signs, some of the routine biochemistry uh, findings will feed into that. Things like hyperglobulinemia, low AG ratio, yeah. uh, lymphopenia, think, things like that will all feed into that. So I take PCR as another piece of the jigsaw yeah, okay. because mm. I, d- I think... We, we, depending on where we're sampling, I'll, I'll, we, we're not going to talk about fecal sampling because right. that's more for sometimes for looking for chronic shedders. Right. It's not going to be a diagnostic right. tool. But if we're talking about looking for coronaviruses in um, parts of the uh, samples that we've taken from the cats, then we know that coronavirus can go systemic in the absence of FIP. So the presence yeah. of coronavirus systemically does not nail yeah. the diagnosis. Having said that, we have to realise in the context when we're dealing with an animal in front of us that um, you know it's not that common for non-FIP cats to have systemic coronavirus. So if they've got it, that's already a little bit uncommon. And then the levels are important. So if you're doing a quantitative mm. PCR, if you've got a lot of coronavirus in I don't know, a mesenteric lymph node fine needle aspirate. That would be a big piece of the jigsaw for me. It wouldn't nail it, but in the presence of what other piece of the jigsaw have you got, you know, is there there a picture emerging here that really looks like this could be FIP? And that might be in some situations enough to talk to the owner about the next step, which might not be getting a definitive diagnosis. And I hate saying that as a medic, but, but I think we've got to be realistic. And, and we I have think, to be humane too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and and what I would really please sort of get people to do is if you if you are in that position and you, you, you know, you're as sure as you can be with the amount of diagnostics that you can do in that individual, if euthanasia is what is decided, then having a look in mm. the cat if you can take samples, you know, at the Bristol we do research, we do histopaths sort of free of charge. Yeah. It takes a while for research yeah. purposes, but there are ways of getting an answer or just the gross findings. Uh, it will increase your confidence yes, so that right. next time you're in that situation and you haven't got that definitive piece of the jigsaw, you'll think, oh, well, last time I I, I got it right, yeah. you know, yeah. from from the post-mortems yeah. find. And I, we, I've always done that to improve my confidence in what I think I'm dealing yeah. with. In the face of such a difficult yeah. disease. Yeah. yeah. You know, um, you, you and I have been in veterinary medicine for a while. And so we've seen um, so many uh, tests for FIP come. And then, yeah. and then we have a test like, no, we don't. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. PCR has been through a bit of that yeah, too, right? Yeah. yeah. And so I think, I think we're learning how to use yeah, it properly. Th- absolutely. And I think, again, you know, I, from, from the work we've done at Bristol, it, it's not a black and white, Situation: If there's a heck of a lot of feline coronavirus in a systemic sample that you take from a cat, most of the time that's going to be FIP, yeah, yeah. okay? Most non-FIP cats either don't have it or have only, only low levels. Low low, low lows. But the fact is that if you happen to sample a cat at, you know, soon after coronavirus infection, it's got another disease process. You, you know, there is that overlap. It's a bit, you know, it's that individual cat, which is what you're dealing with of as course, a vet, yeah. not 
two groups of 100 cats in a paper where you've got a statistical significance. You've got all these dots overlapping. So that's why you can't say yes, no, but it is a big piece of of the jigsaw. Yeah. 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 And the other test that's talked about is the PCR for the mutation. Yeah. So I think that's probably worth mentioning um, mm-hmm. as well. So the mutation, again, what when, when we've done quite a lot of research on this at Bristol, we found that mutation in non-FIP cats that were ill so with other diseases <laughs> that had that were coronavirus infected. Now there's again, it's just like coronavirus PCR. There's not that many of them out there, but it, we feel it's a sign of systemic coronavirus infection rather than it nailing right. FIP right. in in our hands. Right. So for us, because our um, the PCR is um, you know. Uh, a really good sort of baseline coronavirus PCR. You have to do that coronavirus PCR before you do the mutation analysis. And sometimes you can't do the mutation analysis if there's only low levels. Yeah. But actually that low level might mean it's not FIP. Right there. Yeah. Might not right so, there. Yeah. yeah, so it's sort of thinking of it as a two-step process. So I personally don't regard it as yeah. as the... the I was going to nail in the coffin is the wrong. You phrase. know, what's the word? Definitive answer. It's so funny because I've heard Niels Peterson talk yeah. about FIP quite often. Yeah. And sometimes he uses that uh, enough nails in the coffin. Often, as a now, piece of the as an, yeah. yeah. And I find that a little awkward to analogy yeah. for owners. Yeah. So I'm like oh, you. And then all yeah. yeah, it's not bricks in a wall, yeah. jigsaw. Yeah, <laughs> jigsaw is I try to not yeah, use the yeah, nails in yeah, the coffin. Yeah, bless him. Yeah, yeah God, so, indeed, bless, yeah, bless him. Yeah, yeah it's, no. uh, it's so funny. So, you know, I, I think one of the things that we're learning, it's not just with FIP, uh, we're talking about this in feline leukemia now too. It's not just, is the PCR positive, but like how positive, yeah, how, how much, much yeah, yeah, is is important in terms of what's going to happen to the cat. Uh, so we're, we're, I think we're beginning to develop that, um, uh, you know, de- a degree of detail yeah. in our understanding. Yeah, that and it's I th- not black and white. And I think it's really hard because I think when you're researching and you're used to seeing tons of PCR results, you get this feeling yeah. <laughs> about the level. But yeah. when you're in practice yeah. and you're not doing that many of them, <laughs> yeah, you get you, one. <laughs> yeah, you're relying on the lab yeah. to give you that gut feeling. Yeah. Yeah. based on what they've seen with their assay and various so i think it's really important that lab relationship to talk you know pick up the phone yeah. if you're not sure and just try and get get an idea so uh, yeah so and yeah I think that's a good point because you uh, know both the clinical pathologists and the pathologists love to talk to you about what they find and then combine it with because we are really bad in describing our clinical diagnosis on our little piece, piece of paper, of paper. Oh, no. and so when you do that communication suddenly yeah. things come together yeah. and then it's much easier absolutely to put that and i think together. yeah and i think with or with the jigsaw yeah now we're going to go for the jigsaw <laughs> <laughs> we're going to go for the jigsaw but absolutely because you know you haven't got time to write everything on the on the form no but you, you might, should write you know, more than nothing you should yeah yes, you yes. should oh, and, and i have and been guilty too yeah say what fever. yeah say what yeah <laughs> i have so, been guilty but you know all pathologists or clinical pathologists whoever's yeah. on the receiving end yeah. always say please give us a little indeed indeed yeah and if so i piece a case where you really would absolutely, want absolutely absolutely that detail so, right yeah, and I think you know they can then you know if you've used the same lab for biochemistry yeah. hematology that they, yeah, they can help put, you with yeah, some of that with sort the of juice. that is part of you so know, we what have about at. ten minutes left oh, okay. and so okay. let's focus now because 
We <laughs> used to only spend like half a second on therapy because there was not a lot. Uh, but let's talk about therapy. Yeah, we can talk a little yes. bit anyway. Yeah, yeah. Yes. it's getting so, exciting now yeah. here. Huh? So everybody's so, smiling, yes, and it's like yeah. before there was everybody was gloomy. Uh, and no, was, yeah, well, we kept getting papers, didn't we? Where we, we thought, did, yes. it, and then we'd realised they didn't know. really were diagnosed with yeah, FIP, and then actually, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, but uh, that that's an important yeah. point because yeah. sometimes it is a difficult diagnosis yeah. to make, right? Yeah. yeah. And so some of the therapies that have been looked at in the past look like they worked, but we didn't. We have didn't a- have to. And, and do you know that the the I mean they're fab papers that um you know that uh, Niels has, has brought out. But actually, when you look at those, yeah. you know yeah. they they probably all haven't been definitively diagnosed it's hard. because it's hard, especially with uh, you know the the non effusive forms. So I think, uh, but I think you know it's a bit of that jigsaw. You, you know, is. there's some things that it's very difficult to think it could be anything else in, in that individual. Case, yeah, it's but, a like process uh, yeah. of elimination yeah, thing, right? Yeah. Yeah. So in terms of the new treatments, there's um there's really treatments targeted at the virus, you know, sort of to try and sort of antiviral Mm -hmm. medications, as it were. Um, So there's a couple of groups of uh, treatments that have been tried out initially in experimental animals, which we've already mentioned is, you know, you're often doing intraperitoneal inoculation of something, you know, we're talking about it being a sporadic disease. Mm. And then in the, in an experimental situation, you're inducing it in all cats. So it's very artificial, but but what else are you going to do? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think as a first first line, that's been tried for sort of proof of concept of some of these drugs. And then importantly, um, they've been extended to field yeah. trials, which is hugely important. So uh, one one of the the most recent publication is using, and I can't remember all the numbers after Me the neither. GS, but I it's know. a GS with a bunch of numbers. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and that is something that is um, is is has been looked at in quite a large uh, group of field cats. Um, um, particularly uh, the young cats with the effusive form mm. have done particularly well. Which is interesting, yeah, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, which, yeah, because yeah, you wouldn't of, think they'd be no, the ones, No, right? so the, yeah. the drug that's used doesn't, my understanding, and I've not worked on it personally, but um, it doesn't tr- cross the blood brain mm-hmm. barrier that easily. So it's not as you need higher doses yeah. for longer I think um, for sort of more of the sort of uh, non-effusive cases yeah. but um, but for the effusive cases it seems really promising yeah. so uh, so I think um, Niels is I think he's uh, he's probably talking to Jane Sykes at UC Davis they are inundated with I can only you know, imagine because everyone's so desperate oh. but it is something that they are trying to license and it sounds like it takes a few years for sort of like any drug it, yeah. right any new drug it's never you know Absolutely. the publications come out and then it's like five yeah. years or ten years yeah before. yeah so, so it's i think it's going to take a while um but but it does look, i mean i think it, it will be interesting to see whether any resistance arises in the virus yeah. to them these are, um, I think are remind me protease inhibitors? there's protease inhibitors and then there are also a, another type of drug that actually works at a different level sort of a nucleoside inhibitor i think that right. was so slightly different way but um but sort of stops one of the enzymes from from working um so um that sort of slightly different uh, slightly different action um but um but yeah that that i i wonder whether you know c- 
could that be a mm. possibility? Now, I know that, um, you know, the work done at UC Davis has really pulled on what's working in other coronaviruses. Yeah, which is so, important. Yeah, which is important because I think that's a really good model. So I think from that point of view, um, uh, you know, hopefully it will be something that won't just be yeah. useful for a finite period of it time. It is a worry, though, and, because yeah, coronaviruses, uh, if there's one good. thing they do, they mutate. Yeah, yeah, and it might be that, and again, this is not my area of expertise, but it might be that we look at uh, using more than one viral antiviral true, true. you know in terms of like a cocktail trying to work at different, different angles sort of different levels. different yeah, yeah, yeah different points of the viral so i think from that point of view that um you know that that will be something i'm sure that they'll, they'll be looking at so well yeah. at least there's a glimmer of hope oh, for, it, oh. it's more i mean i think it's it's more than a I think glimmer so isn't it it um, better and be. I think, yeah, and I think um, I, I just want to do a, a sort of, I, I just think the work that Niels has done on this, Amazing. you know, I think his whole life he's dedicated yeah. Yeah. almost, I mean, he's done a lot of things, hasn't he, to yes. this disease. And I think it's a, a fitting. He, yeah, he deserves for this deserve, to work. Yeah, I, I, you know, of all the people that <laughs> yeah, needs to yeah. see yeah. this be, hope. Before come, he leaves yeah, this earth, yeah, he yeah. needs to see this. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, I can see degree. him in Egypt digging a hole and finding. <laughs> The yeah. tomb of the yeah. pharaoh, and yeah. there it is. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's Absolutely. our Howard Carter. Yeah, oh, yeah. Howard Carter. Scenes, so I think, so. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So yeah. He so I think I think watch this space. And mm-hmm. as I say, I think yeah. we, we we are we have got owners that are sourcing that themselves. So yes. that puts us in a, di- a difficult position. It is difficult because um, you know, as veterinarians uh, yeah. and clinicians, we don't know where it comes from. We don't know if it is what it says, says it, it is. is. We yeah. don't know if the strength is right. You don't know if there's contaminants. Exactly. So that's a worry. It is a, a worry. And have you? experience that yet in your practice we have not had no. any clients you know buy no. it online yeah. yet and bring it yeah. in but i'm sure that it's gonna happen it's gonna happen yeah yeah because the, the other issue is in that situation is you know you you, you you can't really just say to the owner well i want nothing to do with this because you you know helping monitor you've that got, patient support help. yeah so it's you know yeah. we've talked about in the uk of just getting a disclaimer sign to say we probably have a good a, idea um, mm-hmm. You know, but we are willing to yeah. help support right, y- right. you and your cats. But, but, but in this, we didn't yeah. prescribe the drug, and yeah. you can't and we be can't liable for any side effects yeah. or what have you. That's probably. Yeah. Uh, I think that's a good middle ground, yeah. right? You yeah, know, you can't turn your back. No, no. Um, these people are just mm. trying to do whatever they can, can. and and you've got to. And when there's no alternative, yeah. you know, it's it's really hard. I would have a lawyer involved though to look would at you? that because yeah, because you you know the. Yeah. Maybe have the a lawyer craft re- a statement. If something yes. goes wrong yeah. and you support it, it's yeah. still you're still kind of liable yeah, instead yeah. of so. It's, so that's it's a, a good, tricky. That's a good point. That's a good thought. Yeah, yeah. So. we've yeah. got indemnity insurance in the UK for a lot of vets. So mm-hmm. I think as a result of this podcast, I will ask them what they yeah. suggest. Yeah. That's, that's a good not idea. a bad idea. Actually, yeah. you're yes. making me think that might be a good idea to have our lawyer draft a little statement so yeah. that it's like relevant in our jurisdiction. Yeah, and defendable. yeah, because it will be very for globally it would be. see what's what's yeah. needed yeah and to finalize this wonderful podcast <laughs> uh now you are a fam clavier so so just before we we started recording the podcast <laughs> mentioned that she'd done all this reading on fam cycle because she and thought she had a lecture and then she did it uh, yeah i thought i was lecturing on herpes virus <laughs> and yes. then got to toronto and found out <laughs> oh, well no. which is really good because i wouldn't have ever made the time to read those papers so there's a little, yeah, a little silver no, well no yeah just the fam cycle story i mean yeah. i 
this recent paper that um, and I, I can't remember the, the the names in it, but that didn't didn't suggest it was that efficacious. Um, and it's interesting because I don't know about you, but I I we are my family is the centre of excellence of rehoming herpes virus infected <laughs> cats. So I can I can firmly say I have a lot of experience in dealing yeah. with herpes virus at a home level. And um, and they um, and I find famcyclovir yeah. really yeah. helpful. I, I think um, I think it's like a lot of drugs uh, when you're talking about antivirals yeah, and yeah. that there will be a, a group, group very yeah. helpful and then others not yeah, so much. Yeah. I, that's what I think. Yeah. Are we talking yeah. here placebo effect or real effect? Well, it should be re- <laughs> it should be real effect. It's, it's and, and we're talking about a vet's household that usually yeah. I've got famcyclovis. This is probably not allowed. I have <laughs> hidden away in a yeah. cupboard somewhere. Because right. sometimes as vets, we haven't in the household. Yeah, yeah, and you're... then we have to wait and we have to remember to get yeah. it from the vet. And yeah, I'm not listening. No, no. So I think I think from that point of view, sometimes I've found we haven't. Uh, one of our cats has not got. I feel has not got better until now. Yeah. That could still mm. be the placebo effect because we're not yeah. giving the placebo until then. But yeah. I, d- I do think there's a group of cats that do respond to that quite yeah. well. So, but the devil's been in the dose and the dosing yeah, too, right? Yeah. Because it so looks the, like a lot know, of cats eat much more than no, you would think. And you and, were talk- yeah. I mean, I think I think the ninety mg per kg twice a day yeah. is is a, is a reasonably reasonable good place. dose. Yeah. I think three times a day can be difficult. Uh-huh. And I think there's some suggestions that in some cases don't give up until you've given that big dose three times a day but for there a are, while yeah but there are plenty of people that I mean I know some of our ophthalmologists I've worked with are really think 40 mg per kg is enough so so maybe uh, it depends yeah, you know if your um, main clinical sign is just ocular yeah, keratitis yeah. maybe yeah lower dose, dose yeah sure yeah so I think it's a matter of just being aware of what dose you're giving what's practical what can the owner yep. afford yeah you know have that because it's quite an expensive drug it's thinking expensive. about from that point we of usually view. have to get it compounded because yes, it's not you, yeah uh, yeah the human formulations aren't amenable to no that's right giving yeah. cats. we've got uh access to sort of pace now in the uk Do but you? yeah oh, yeah so yeah so um yeah there's that sort of conversation yeah. to, to be had but i think um i think that you know you can do okay with the twice a day yeah. dose, which I think from a compliance point of view is helpful. This has been wonderful. Oh, yes, That's already the time See, is wasn't already it there. Easy? I know it was, it's crazy well, it was, how fast it goes. Really, just a chat. I really I know, enjoy it's being like a, a I love being homie. sat in between you yeah. both like this. <laughs> Can we do it again? Of course. <laughs> of, course. of course. Yes. yes. We barely touched on feline I infectious know, disease. I know. There's still a couple to Yeah. yeah. You know, we really talk about. should do um we really should do one on uh tuberculosis and cats. Oh, yeah, that sounds good. Yeah, yeah. because it's a it's quite an emerging problem, like Australia, UK, yeah, yeah. some parts of North America, yeah, even. Yeah, are yeah. your listeners from all over? Yeah, all yeah. Over, international, yes. global. Yeah, yeah. Global yeah. so you, you've made me awesome. realize we should do it. Yeah, yeah. Should do As one a matter of fact, my D was yes. suspected to have oh, tuberculosis when because? she died. Oh. She had little granules in her lungs, oh. and she. Oh just fell over when oh, she was seven. She had a sudden death? I know. Oh, but then they tested it. And it wasn't. Yeah. Uh, where, uh, where Were you living in Kansas at that time? No, it was or? in Holland. Okay. And it's a disease you have to report, right, I think. Uh, well, if it's M. bovis mm-hmm. in the UK and it's confirmed, mm-hmm. it's it reportable. gets reported. Yeah, yeah. So. Not if you suspect it. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but, so. And it varies in some part, you know, in Italy, uh, there's a paper recently about an outbreak of M. 
bovis in a in a group of cats and uh, in italy you have to euthanize <gasps> oh yeah. yeah you're not so allowed to treat well that is a controversy yeah isn't it, it is a contro- yeah, it's a controversy sometimes you've got there's no discussion to be had yeah yeah part. i guess so not. it's very variable around the world and before we start this discussion yeah. <laughs> yeah. it's time to thank you so much yes, for thank, making you thank you for having me awesome. we're really happy thank you thank you Dr. Susan Little is a feline medicine specialist with two cat-only hospitals in Ottawa, Canada. She is best known as an international speaker and as the author and editor of two textbooks, The Cat, Clinical Medicine and Management, and August, Consultations in Feline Internal Medicine. Along with three cats, she also admits to owning two dogs, and you can follow her on social media with the handle at CatPetSusan. Dr. Yola Kerpenstein is a diplomate of the American and European College of Veterinary Surgeons and a big cat fan. His specialties range from surgical oncology and reconstruction to minimally invasive surgery. He is the author of two textbooks on basic and reconstructive surgery. Did you know he was allergic to cats? Yola works currently at Hills Pet Nutrition. You can follow him on social media with the handle at GVETSX. Opinions of this podcast are those by Dr. Susan Little and Dr. Yola Kerpenstein. Veterinary medicine is a complex profession, and often there are multiple diagnostic and therapeutic options for different disease processes. If you're a pet owner with questions, please go to your local veterinarian. If you're a veterinary professional, ask your questions on our Instagram page, at Per Podcast.